for me, we're entering into my favorite season of the year, and I know that it's the same for many of you as well. If Christmas is your favorite holiday, if it's your favorite season, just a show of hands all across the room this morning. So a few, a few. You know, I feel like, I feel like though, even though it's my favorite time of year, I feel like the Christmas season starts earlier every single year. And I hear people say this, you know, so you're going to think I'm crazy, but on Friday, August 16th, so this is three and a half months ago, my family and I were walking through Hobby Lobby in Onalaska, and I, I took note that day. I wrote it in my phone because they had already started putting out Christmas decorations. All right, August, did I say 15th or 16th? Doesn't matter. One of those two. It says 16th here in my notes. So, but you know, you know, most people believe that the Christmas tree or Christmas music, it should never go up or be played until Thanksgiving is over. But I'm going to be honest, for me, the earlier the better. And uh, Faith actually has to kind of slow my roll a little bit and slow down. She won't let us put the tree up until Thanksgiving is over. But if it were up to me, I mean, Halloween's done and I'd have the tree up. And I know some of you are the same way as well. Because for me, you know, the, as soon as the Christmas decorations go up, as soon as we start hearing the Christmas music, man, I've, I've got the Christmas spirit. I'm just excited for the season that we're in. You know, there, there are a lot of visuals that remind us about the season that we're entering into. For example, the Christmas lights go up, Christmas music playing on the radio. Um, if you still work during the day, you have office parties, uh, nativity scenes, and then we have our family gatherings. These are all things that remind us that the Christmas season is here. And don't get me wrong, you know, all of these things can serve as a wonderful reminder about what and who we're celebrating. But again, if, if you're anything like me, these, these things can also be a, a source of distraction from the real reason uh, for the season. Even though they're beautiful, the, the lights, the music, the nativity sayings, all of these things can, can stir nostalgia in our lives. They can stir emotion without really causing us to reflect on the birth of our Savior. It's actually possible for us to be in awe of what we see and what we hear without really listening to the story behind the message. You know, one of my favorite things about the Christmas season um, has always been the music. I've loved music as far back as I can remember. And I, I like the older stuff, the classics like Oh Holy Night, uh, Angels We Have Heard on High, and Joy to the World. But I also love the newer uh, Christmas worship songs that are coming out as well. You know, this time of year, I genuinely get excited throughout the week about our church coming together to worship together. And then even when I'm at home by myself, I'll break out my guitar and I'll just sit on the couch and just worship to Christmas music. It really is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, the New Testament book of Luke is unique in that it gives us four of the very first songs of Christmas. Four of the very first songs of Christmas ever sung. The songs that are recorded for us in Luke's gospel, they were written before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. And really, just like the lights, the nativity scenes, and the Christmas decor, just how these things draw our attention, so do these early songs of praise. But these four songs, they take it a step further by causing us to really listen to the message behind the songs. So as we read these four songs of Christmas, we're given a front row seat to the response of those who've gone before us. 
And then you and I were reminded about who it is that we worship and why we worship him. So during the month of December, we're going to take a closer look at these four uh, first songs of Christmas. And as we do, my prayer leading up to this has been that they would not just be heard and admired maybe from a distance or from sitting in a chair, but instead they would really cause us to, to pause to take a break from the busyness of life, to reflect and to worship Christ. As I preach through these songs of Christmas, really allow God's word to once again help prepare your heart for Christmas and to help you celebrate this season with joy. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we're going to dive into the, the first song of Christmas. Father, my prayer today is that you would help us to slow down this season. I'm pausing to um, reflect and worship the Savior of the world. As we read familiar stories, um, help us to, uh, to see them with fresh eyes and have hearts that are open to your leading in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 1, it's early on in the book of Luke. Um, Verses 46 through uh, 55 is where we find um, this first song of Christmas, the first song of Christmas ever sung. And this song is so unique um, because it actually helps clarify and answer one single question uh, that many people have or have had about God. And that question is this. What is God like? What is God like? That's a question that I think many people have or many of us have had over the years. In fact, over the years, hundreds, if not thousands of books have been written that seek to answer this important question. I think it's safe to say that a lot of time, a lot of energy, and and probably a lot of money has gone into wrestling with this, this important question. What is God like? So imagine just for a moment having an experience, having an encounter that would bring clarity to this frequently asked question, an experience that that left you with all of the right answers so that you were no longer just, just guessing. You had the right answers. This kind of encounter um, that, that, that I speak of is the kind of encounter that inspired the first Song of Christmas. And this particular song, it gives us two very important words, just single words, that help describe who God really is. The first song that we read in Luke's gospel is Mary's song. And I think that's appropriate that that's the first song that we see. This song was inspired by Mary's role in the events of the very first Christmas. And what's interesting to me when I read this song is that despite going through what what Mary went through, she doesn't sing about herself, and she doesn't sing about really her, her own experience. She sings about God. She sings about who he is and what he's done in her life. And the context behind this first song, it's going to be familiar to most people, especially if you've spent any amount of time in the church. In this song, the first thing we see leading up to Mary's song is the angel Gabriel visiting Mary 
in Nazareth. And this encounter, it brings together two things. It brings together the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. It's ordinary because someone, in this case Mary, is going to have a baby. And having a baby is nothing new. We all know how this happens. But it's extraordinary because Mary is a virgin and this baby will be conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read a little bit about Mary's reaction um, to this extraordinary encounter. Um, In Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, this is what we read. It says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So you'd think that hearing extraordinary news like this would provoke an extremely extraordinary response from someone. But that's really not what we see. Instead, Mary responds in a very ordinary and natural way, in a way that I think relates to to a lot of people. She drops what she's doing, she leaves her home, and she hurries and tells the closest person to her. Right? When you hear good news like this, that's, that's kind of what you do. You drop what you're doing, you pick up the phone, and you call mom, or you call dad, you call brother, sister, friends, and you let them know a baby's on its way. So she leaves her home, and she hurries over to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And when she arrives, she actually sees that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. And Elizabeth's pregnancy was, was also extraordinary because she was unable to have kids. She and her husband, Zachariah, they, they were both very old. The way that the scriptures talk about it, it's like they were anciently old. <laughs> this was extraordinary. And I think it's worth taking just a detour for a moment as a side note, just to remind God's people that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. If there's something that you've been praying about, maybe season after season, an illness or a family situation or someone that you're praying for to to receive Christ, a situation going on in your family, something that's related to work, whatever it is, Scripture tells us we can pray about anything. We can pray about anything. It's a good reminder this season that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? So it's while she's with her cousin Elizabeth that Mary responds to all of these extraordinary events, and she does so with a song. All of our musicians this morning, whether you're in the worship team or in our choir, really anybody, I think this is going to hit home today. So this is how Mary responds in song, Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then she says, his his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
And he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So if you're taking note this morning, the first word that helps us know more about God's character, more about what God is like, is the word mindful. So if you're taking notes, you can write in, God is mindful. I know these are really long points today. You're just going to have to work with me on that one. God is mindful. In Luke chapter 1, 46 through 48, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been, and what's the word? Mindful of the humble state of his servant. I was thinking about this word mindful this week and looked at a couple different resources just to get different perspectives. And this is what I walked away with this week, that the word mindful, what Luke is trying to get across here, means that that you, you, to be mindful of someone or, or something is to take notice of them. It's to remember them, or I think even, even better, it's to take care of them. That's to be mindful. See, Mary understood that this extraordinary encounter has revealed an important truth about God's character. And that is God is a personal God who has been mindful of her. Mary says, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She, she recognized that God could have chosen anyone. He could have chosen a rich and noble queen or someone who had a lot more influence and authority than, than she had. But instead, God chose Mary. A young woman who had no real significance in the town where she lived. She had no real influence towards the people in her community, really outside of her family. But because God has been mindful of her, he's taken notice of her, remembered her, he's taken care of her. Mary responds in song by singing, My my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's a couple quotes that I want to use this morning, and they're both from the same individual. He's a pastor and an author, a guy that I try to listen to as often as I can. And so when I give you these quotes today, you're going to know who I'm reading a lot of right now. Um, But the first quote is this. It's from pastor and author Alistair Begg. He says, Mary may have been small in the eyes of the world, and she certainly was, but she was valuable in the eyes of the one who made the world. Maybe you're thinking, of course God is mindful of Mary. Of course he takes notice of her and cares for her. I mean, this is, this is Mary we're talking about. This is the mother of Jesus. But when you take a step back, you begin to realize that Mary isn't just singing and responding to God because of what he's done in her life. She's also singing about what God has done and is doing for his people as a whole. You jump to the very end of the song, verse 54 and 55, and this is, this is how she ends the song. She says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Yes, I mean, absolutely, God has been mindful of Mary as an individual. And that's something to celebrate, something to learn about. But I think more importantly, it's, it's good for the church to see that he's been mindful of his people as a whole. 
See, when you read God's word from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see that it's been this way since the time of creation. From Genesis chapter 1, when God first created man and woman in his own image, to today, as you sit here at Onalaska Church of Christ, God has been mindful of his people. He's been mindful of you. From the first time God promised that a son would be given, who, who would fulfill all of God's promises until Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. And into present day, God has always been and will always be mindful of his people. See, he thinks about you. God cares about you. He takes care of you. He's been mindful of you. And this is an important aspect of God's character and nature. It's part of who he is. He, he was mindful of Mary, and he's mindful of us. And this means that God is personally involved in our lives. He's not a distant God. He's a personal God. The second quote that I want to use this morning from Alistair Begg is this, and I like this so much, I wrote it in your bulletin today, that the greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. It's not some far-off being that there's no connection to. The, the greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. The greatness of God is revealed in his intimacy with us. And we see this truth all throughout God's word. But for the sake of the season that we're in, I want to draw your attention to another passage in the book of Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And you see a little bit for, for how God has drawn near to us, for how, how he's with us. Uh, Matthew writes, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. He says, Look, the, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, the God of the Bible is mindful of you. And friends, that, that gives you value. That gives you purpose. That gives your life meaning. Regardless of what others think about you, regardless of what others say to you, regardless of how others treat you, this is a constant, that God is mindful of you. That he loves you. He cares for you. He remembers you. And this is the God that we celebrate and worship at Christmas, but this is also the God that we celebrate and worship every other day throughout the year. He's a God who knows you, cares for you. He's mindful of you. The second word that we see in Mary's song, a word that helps us understand a little bit more about who God is, more about his character and his nature, it's the word mighty. So if you're taking notes, you can write that God is mighty. Luke chapter 1, 48 through 49, Mary sings, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So Mary's song first reminds us that God is mindful, that he takes notice, he remembers his people, he takes care of us. And this is extremely important for us to understand if we're going to understand the context in which Mary is framing the might of God. 
We know that God is mighty in so many different ways. We sing a song, Mighty to Save. God is mighty to save sinners. Nobody is outside of the love and the reach of God. We see all throughout Scripture where in God's might, he delivers his people. He saved us. But Mary gives us some specific word pictures to help describe how God is mighty. And I think these will come as a little bit of a surprise when we're talking about Christmas. So the rest of her song gives us these these word pictures. Luke chapter 1, verses 50 through 55, Mary describes the might of God. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. And then this is the picture we get. This is how God is mighty. It says, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So if I were to paraphrase what I just read here, it would be this, that in his might... God takes what individuals and what societies define as great, and he turns these things upside down for the good of those who love God. That maybe what we think is great in our everyday lives and what society deems as as great might not be what God considers to be great. This reminds me of our study on the book, or not on the book, but on the Beatitudes um, earlier this year. With each Beatitude that was uh, taught, Jesus said that his, his ways are really opposite of the world. And that true joy is living this, this upside-down life, following Jesus, which is, is different from the way the world would operate, and different from the way the world would live. So when we get to Mary's song and we see how God stretches out his arm, like a, it's, it's almost a picture of a mighty warrior expressing his might. This is what we see. The first thing that God does in his might is found in verse 51, which says, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. And Mary sings, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You know, I, th- I think it's easy to look at our own individual achievements and in life and then direct the credit and the praise back to ourselves. I think it's easy to do that, whether it's with work or with where your family's at or maybe a skill set that you have. It's easy to look at the individual achievements in our life and direct the praise back to ourselves. But Mary's song reminds us that our achievements in life are not solely based on our own abilities and hard work. Instead, they're based on the might and the goodness of God. If we think it's our own abilities and hard work that gets us really anywhere, God has a way. God has a way of bringing his people down from their pedestal so that the praise and the glory would go to him. That's not something we typically think about when we think of the might of God. But in his goodness, and you'll see in a moment, he does that for our good. The second thing that God does in his might is found in verse 52, which says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
You know, any history book that you find is going to confirm what Mary is singing about here. Throughout hi- history, the proudest societies eventually fall to nothing. That's something we can trace back as, as far as time's been recorded. But the ones who have God on their throne, on the thrones of their hearts and lives, those individuals and in those societies, they thrive. And it's got me thinking a little bit about biblical humility this week. You know, biblical humility is, is thinking of ourselves less. It's thinking of others more and their needs more. It's allowing God to occupy the place in our hearts and lives that he alone was meant to occupy. And then Mary's song reminds us that God has a way of humbling us for our good if we start going down a road that's prideful. It's a little bit uncomfortable, but it's true. And then the third and final thing that God does in his might that Mary sings about is found in verse 53. And she says, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. See, our culture tells us that it's the rich who are full and it's the poor who are empty. That's just just the culture we live in. That's the message that we receive. And I will say as a side note, we've talked about this a little bit over the past few months. It's very clear in God's word that wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. But what happens is, and why Jesus talks uh, talks about wealth so much, and why we see it all throughout God's word, is because as prideful people, we tend to pursue wealth and our own will and our own plans instead of pursuing God and his plans. And I think that's why Mary's saying he's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away. That's because material wealth, hear this church, material wealth can never and will never satisfy our lives fully. It just can't. Mary knew this, and that's why she's saying about how God is the only one who can truly fill and satisfy a life. So when you read this song, you know, you may be tempted to look at it how I did it first and walk away thinking, this is a really weird way for God to express his might, <laughs> All right, for Mary to sing about the might of God. But when we take a closer look, we, we can put the pieces together and we see that it's because God is mindful of us that he remembers us, he takes care of us. That he uses his might for us. Another way you could say that is, it's because God is mindful of us that he uses his might in this way for our good. And I would add, even if it's painful. See, there's always a purpose to God's might. It's never random. It's never just because. There's always a plan and a purpose behind God's might and how he chooses to to act. And that purpose is always for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And in this case, we're reminded that God will often remove things from our lives that make us believe the lie that we no longer need God. And I would say that that is specifically for the people of God. Let me say that again. Uh, we're, We're reminded, not only in this story, but throughout God's word, that God will often remove things from our lives that make us believe the lie that we no longer need God. Personally, I can't answer for anyone else today, but I think that's one of the hardest things about being a Christian in the country that we live in. You see, when blessing is expected, and I think it is, I think we walk around 
saying, you know, I'm so blessed. You're so blessed. Well, God wants to bless you. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but when blessing is expected, what happens is, is individually and as a people, we get comfortable and we eventually start relying on our own strength and our own plans for where we should go, for how we should talk, for how we should live our lives. When blessing is expected, um, the wrong kind of comfort usually follows. And when we start going down these roads, roads like this, it's easy to believe the lie that, that we're mightier than we really are, and we tend to forget how mighty God really is. We tend to believe the lie that we're the, the master of our own universe. That's why Mary's saying how God has scattered those who are proud. He's scattered them. Draw a visual picture of that. He scatters those who are proud. And I believe because God is mindful of his people, he'll often scatter the proud so that they can become humble. See, God helps to give us a right perspective so that we too can say, you know, I don't actually have my life all together. And that's okay. You know, when it comes to faith, I I have doubts. And I have struggles at times. But in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my pain, I'm learning to rely on God. This is why Mary sang about how God fills the hungry with good things. See, when we begin to realize that our hunger for whatever it is that we hunger outside of God um, cannot be satisfied with, with those things, that our hunger can never be satisfied with the things of this world, we begin to realize that we desperately need God in our lives. I've heard it said that we were created with a God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can fill. Anything else we try to put there, we're just going to be left feeling empty. Filling our lives with what God has to offer is the best kind of fool. It is the best kind of fool. And this is a wonderful truth to remember this season. Amen? It truly is. That wasn't a very good amen. I I think some of us are struggling with this a little bit this morning. But we're going to allow God's word to do what only it can do. That maybe if I've been living on a pedestal for a while, or maybe if I've tried to take things into my own hands, maybe it's time to let those go. Maybe it's time to come down and and let God have his rightful place in my life. That's a wonderful truth to remember this season. So that question, what is God like? What, What words come to mind when you think about God? There are so many. There are so many throughout God's word. Some of them are extremely positive sounding. And some of them, when we read in context, it gives us another truth about God that is also good, but it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to really accept those things. Mary's song reminds us of one of those, I think, very positive words, those things that gets us excited and and it's encouraging that God is mindful of us. He takes notice of our lives. And I would say, I, I believe that's even in the smallest details of life. It's not only in the big events. He takes notice. He cares about you. He remembers you. He takes care of you. But her song also reminds us that God is mighty. And that word carries so many things with it. He he is mighty to save. 
He's able to take a broken sinner like me and give me hope and, and a future. But he also looks at my life, and I, I believe this more today than I ever have, and he sees some of the prideful decisions that I make. And because he loves me, because he cares for me, because he's mindful of me, God is so involved and so invested in my life because it's just part of his greater story. And, and maybe you've seen that. Maybe down the road you've seen how God has purposefully removed some things in your life for your good. And that's something, to worth, that's something worth celebrating. That's something that's worth rejoicing over. See, he cares for you so much that he'll often purposefully remove things from the lives of his people that keep our focus on ourselves and on our own achievements, reminding us that he's the one who's worthy of praise. He's the one who's worthy of honor. He's the one who's worthy of glory. Mary's song is a reminder that God is both all-caring and all-powerful. And this, this wonderful truth was enough to make her heart rejoice, to sing in song. And it's a truth that can cause our hearts to rejoice as well as we prepare for Christmas. So I said at the beginning of the message, you know, I, I love this time of year and I love everything that comes with it. I love the music. I love the decorations everything in between there. But sometimes those things can, can, can draw our attention, can get an awe out of us without really reflecting on who it is that we worship and why we worship. And I would say this morning that maybe, maybe God wants to remove some of those things this year. Not, not physically, but maybe from having that place in our lives that he was meant to occupy. So that we would focus on the cross. We would focus on the birth of our Savior. We would rejoice because God is good. Amen.